scripture lesson today um, is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which around here we say is the best sermon ever preached by the smartest man who ever lived, Jesus. So let's hear these good words of Jesus. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Perhaps the most important words ever spoken in all of human history. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. Jesus invited people to apprentice under him into a whole new way of living. And today I'm inviting you into this new way of life, which, to be fair and upfront, will require all of your life. Jesus is not something you can just add on to your schedule. Jesus is the full meal, the full life itself, and everything else falls in underneath that. So um, last week, Pastor Brandon uh, kicked us off on this uh, new series, Practicing the Way of Jesus. We are going to do our very best to learn to look like our rabbi, walk in the dust of our rabbi Jesus, to live like him, to be with him, to become like him, and then to do as he did. That's the goal of what we're trying to do over the next number of weeks leading into Easter. And really, my hope is for all our lives. Amen? You know what we're trying to do to follow Jesus? That's why we're here. And so last week, um, Brandon reminded us that our goal is to live as disciples or apprentices of Jesus. Say apprentices with me. Apprentices. We don't know that word in our culture today nearly like the people of Jesus' day did. Uh, Oftentimes when we think of apprenticeships, uh, we think of trades. Uh, which is right, but most of us didn't grow up in a family trade. And so really how you learn to be a carpenter, how you learn to do farming, how you learn to do much of anything really is to do it with a master, somebody that knows what they're doing. And if you've ever been a gardener and struggled, you know that one summer with grandma is better than a thousand books. All of a sudden things work that didn't work. Or if you were trying to cook, And you you did all the books. And then again, grandma comes with that perfect cast iron skillet. And then you cook and it's amazing because grandma only gives you half of the recipe, right? And then the master has shown you. That's how that works. And so we're following uh, along with this book, Practicing the Way. Um, And I hope that you'll get this book or you'll order it on your own and and read it through. 
Uh, because I think John Mark Comer has a way of taking really, really big concepts and bringing it to us in a way that we can handle. Now, many of you all know that um, I began this journey um, of following Jesus when I was little, but in an intentional way of apprenticeship in about 2009. And so I want you to hear John Mark's uh, words in his own words. He says, to follow Jesus is to become his apprentice. It's to organize your entire life around three driving goals. Say them with me. Number one, be with Jesus. Number two, become like him. And number three, do as he did, right? And so in these, now, I don't know about you, but for me, trying to be like Jesus, I mean, really giving it my best, sounds exhausting if that's going to be my life forever, And I hope it will be. So, but the thing is, sometimes we just need a place to start. And that's what Lent is. As we get ready to live in the power of the resurrection, Lent is a new starting place. It's the beginning of training day. And so Lent is this 40-day season, not including Sundays, because those are little Easter's we get to celebrate. But Lent, this is the first Sunday of Lent. And and what we do there is we self-examine. We're like, this is really who I am. These are things that are working well. These are things that are not working As well, these things are not working at all. And so we're intentional about saying, God, help me with these things. Help me look more like you. Help me spend time with you. Help me become like you and do what you do. And so one of the ways we do that is through fasting. Uh, If you want to know what you really are deep down, try not eating for a day or two. And you'll find out. And if you're not careful, so will your family. Right? So this is a time where we get intentional about our faith life. And we say, God, do something new with me this year. Help me to put you higher in my life. And so in 2009, I went to a place in the Sierra Madres uh, called Mater de la Rosa. It's a passionist retreat center. Um, And that two-week period there, I was working on my doctorate uh, at that time at Fuller Seminary, uh, it changed my life. There are a few things that I know where they are at all times, pretty much. Chantel, Um, my Bible, and these notes that I took on June 8th of 09. That was the first day. And and notice that there are now highlights. There are other different colors of pen because since 09, I've been working on these notes regularly. I know exactly where they are in my office, and if you touch them, you will die. (laughs) This is important stuff. I need to keep reading, apparently. So, but here's the thing. You'll, You'll notice... When, when Dallas Willard, uh, he was the professor of this course, the first thing, because he knew most of us, if not all of us, were pastors, he was like, look, on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, I want you to make sure that you at least get 10 hours of sleep. That's where he started. He says, because you can't relax or really learn until you're rested. You think about that. When's the last time you got 10 hours of sleep? Well, not since you had kids, probably. Right? I mean, that, that was a big deal. You just have permission to just... Be on your bunk for 10 hours, listen to the Lord, force yourself to stay there. It changed my life. And, and I came back so differently that some of you in the congregation said so. They're like, we don't know what happened to you, Mark, but we like this new Mark better. Which I was like, I kind of like the old Mark. And they're like, no, you know, there's, there's, something has changed in you. And I don't know that there's been anything else in my life other than uh, my marriage and my two boys that anyone would ever say that about me. And so what we're studying now is something that I want you to know can really transform your life if you take it seriously. So much so that a a few years ago, uh, Wendy DeMoss of our church 
um, put us in contact with uh, another program for two years uh, called the School of Kingdom Living. And so Chantel and I got to take her back to Mater Dolorosa. That's Los Angeles in the background. Uh, this is an outdoor worship space uh, back when I didn't shave. And, and it was just, it's just almost like a magical place where you, you know that Jesus is hanging out, that God and the Holy Spirit are active there. And, and people on the property would, uh, would just be around, and, and there were full churches of 50, 60, 80, 100 people that would be on silence the entire time. And you would, we would be doing our thing, and then they would just be silently walking around. And you would like, like you know, nod, smile. Uh, it was really quite strange and beautiful and wonderful all at the same time. And then we would go hiking up in the mountains, and, and that's what it looks like from up in the mountain. And that's some of the most sacred space I've ever walked on in my life. And so my hope is that you would get at least a glimmer of the power of God and what's possible in your life. But it really starts with this question. Am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I? Do I follow him? Am I intentional about it? Do I? Or do I show up to worship when I can, when it fits, read my Bible, when my wife tells me to, or whatever it might be? And so let me ask you a different question. Because for many of us, I'm not trying to guilt you about that. The reality is you are a disciple. You are. The question is, whose disciple are you? You're following somebody. I mean, you just are. Everybody's being formed. You're spiritually being formed. But the question is, is are you being formed by Jesus or are you being formed by something else? Chris Cruz, in his um, wonderful book, The Practice of Being with Jesus, he says, if we're not intentionally choosing to be discipled by Jesus, formed by Jesus, then, right, we're being unintentionally discipled by the world. Think about where your mind goes to, what you read, what you think about, what you watch. And I know some of you, particularly you church people, are wondering, why was the band doing Bob Dylan this morning? Because it really does boil down to this. You're going to have to serve somebody. Dylan was right. Now, it may be the devil, the world, or it may be the Lord, but you've got to choose. You're going to have to serve somebody. You have to serve somebody. And we have to make a choice. Now, I would submit to you, uh, you won't be surprised by this, that Jesus is the best choice. And not just because you're supposed to, because it's the only wise choice. It's really the only sane choice that a person would make. If you could actually know and live with and be loved by and, and walk in the way of the one who actually created the entire world, the heaven, the moons, the stars, every person you'll ever know, wouldn't it make sense that you would want to connect with that? That maybe that's, that is the one thing that makes sense in the world, the one thing that you can count on. You see, rabbi is literally translated as master. Um, many of you all know about master classes or master teachers. This is who Jesus was. Every rabbi then had his yoke, his way of life. Right? Jesus will say, take my yoke upon you, which means take on my teachings, my way of doing things, and, and his way of living, his way of interpreting the scriptures. So someone might say, well... You know, when it comes to this piece in Genesis or this piece over in Deuteronomy, how do you see it? Do you see it like Jesus saw it? Or do you see it like Gamaliel saw it? Or do you see it like this Pharisee or rabbi saw it? It was, it was a way of talking, and much like you would do today about some philosophical or political statement. And what's different, though, is that rabbis were unpaid. They didn't need to be paid because they had everything they needed. 
Everywhere they went, people were more than happy to bring them in because they were rock stars. Everybody knew their name. Everybody knew where they were going. Everybody knew their concert dates, their tour, right? They were the Taylor Swift of their day. They knew when they were coming. And they would rely on the hospitality of people in, of peace in every city, town, village they visited and taught. Now, I know uh, Taylor would have to be kind of careful, but can you imagine if, if Taylor went to a high school and said, anybody have a place for me to stay tonight? How that might go? I, I bet she'd have some places she could stay. Now, the Jewish people believed that becoming a great scholar of the scriptures represented life's supreme achievement. More than being a singer or a musician or an NBA star or anything else. This was it. If you could be a rabbi, that was the best of the best. There was nothing greater than being a rabbi. That's what kids aspired to. And so I want you to have a sense of what their system looked like. Um, It's more complex than this, but let me me get it in a way that maybe we can um, digest it a little bit. So the Jewish educational system in the first century looked a bit like this. At around five years old, think elementary school, children attended the local Bet Sefer, uh, which is the house of the book. Uh, if, if you look at um, biblical teachings, Bet means the place of, and Sefer means book. Like Bethlehem, Bet, place of, Lehem, which is bread. Right? Bethlehem, place of bread, Bet Sefer, place of the book, house of the book. Uh, and so this elementary school was built onto or next to the synagogue. It's kind of like a church school. And the curriculum was the Torah. And, and you all know what the Torah is, right? It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. And by the age of 12 or 13, when we think of Jewish kids having a bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah, most children would have the entire Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, memorized. Memorized. Can you imagine? But they did. That was what they were, they were putting... The, the scriptures, the word of God in their lives so much that they knew it by heart. And there was no chapter verse distinctions. That's not going to happen until the printing press thousands of years later. They just learned it. They learned the stories. They learned the law and they lived it. Now, most students would stop there, right? About sixth grade, they would stop. And, but the best and brightest, they went on to what's called Bet Midrash, which is the house of learning. Where they memorized by the age of 17... Not just Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, but the entire Old Testament. Can you imagine if I said to you, would you just repeat this out of the Bible? This isn't large print, by the way, right? I mean, imagine page after page after page after page, scroll after scroll after scroll after scroll, and these kids had it memorized. And they would be quizzed about what it meant and how they interpreted it and how would they live that out. Now, of course, almost all students go home at that point. And they, the rabbis say, you're great, we love you, uh, go have babies, right? Uh, and they would pray then that their kids would become rabbis because they knew they were not going to be. They were going to go back to the farm, they are going to go back to carpentry, they are going to go back to pottery, whatever they did. And, and can you imagine that a rabbi was such a high thing that people would go home and pray that maybe when they did have kids, their kids would be a rabbi? Actually, we have something we worship uh, around here. Uh, You may not know that that's what that is, uh, but it has its own colors, it has its own music, it has its own group, it has its own chants, and that is people today, it's like hoping that your kid could be a basketball star, right? So we start them from as little as we can on the hopes that they can play 
more ball, right? And then and maybe they're on a traveling team. Obviously, this kid's pretty good because he's playing for the Cavaliers already, right? <laughs> and, and then maybe if, if you're really, really, really good, maybe you get to play college ball at our United Methodist School, Duke, right? Did you know that? Um, so, you know, that's, that's a big deal, right? You make the tournament, maybe you're national champion, but then the best of the best of the best, you know, they play for the Thunder, of course, right? <laughs> SGA. Now, this is, this is what it is. Like, I played basketball, but no one was thinking I was going to be in the NBA or off the bench. So, you know, here's the thing. This is how people thought. A rabbi was SGA and then some. And, and it's hard to get our minds around that up until very recent history, Leaders that connected people to God were the pinnacle of what you could be in society. As late as the 1700s, 1800s, um, leaders of the Christian faith were absolute rock stars. The first bishop in, in the United Methodist Church in America was known as Francis Asbury. Some of our confirmands will know that. Right? So in the, roughly the, the early 1800s, Francis Asbury was so famous, right, that he once got a letter from Europe and the envelope said, Francis Asbury, America. And he got it. He got it. You know how famous you would have to be for someone on a different continent to just write a letter and go, you know, Brandon, America. I mean, that, that's famous. And that's how it was until about hmm, 1960 in some ways, started to change. So the very best of the best of the best, they would apply to apprentice under a rabbi. It's much like applying for a PhD program at an elite school, right? Not a state school. And if the rabbi thought that you had the intellectual capacity, if you had the drive, if you had the grit, if you had the work ethic to become a rabbi, what everybody else wanted to be, he would come and say, say it with me, come follow me. Now, as a little kid in Sunday school, and people, I, would, I would hear the story say something like this. Well, that was really something that you know, Peter would leave his nets and go follow Jesus. Like, what a, what a commitment. I just understand that completely backwards. Can you imagine SGA walking into our gym and saying to uh, one of the kids that plays Y-ball there on Saturdays, anybody want to come play with me? And if you do what I do, and you do what I tell you to do, and you work with me, and you live with me, you're on the road with me, you're on the road with the thunder, then you can play for the thunder. But you have to come right now. Anybody want to come? You know any fifth grade boys would be like, yeah, sign me up. And some mother's like, no. Right? It was then and is now the invitation of a lifetime for Rabbi to say, come follow me, much less God himself. It's the invitation of a lifetime, friends. Don't, don't mishear me. You're not doing God a favor by following him. This is a chance of a lifetime. And the question is, do you see it that way? Do you understand that it's not an obligation? It's an honor. It's a chance of a lifetime to follow Jesus. And Dallas Willard would put it very succinctly. He says, friends, th- listen to this. There is no problem in the human life that apprenticeship to Jesus cannot solve. God himself If you put yourself to Jesus, there is nothing that can't be solved by his power, his grace, and his forgiveness, his love, and his power. 
So when it comes to being with a rabbi, the entire goal was being with your master to become like your master. It wasn't just to be with him, just to be with him. You were with him so you could watch every move, what he ate, what he drank, how he handled hard situations, um, you know, how he used humor to diffuse things, how he used riddles to get out of a trap, how he would escape when people were trying to kill him. All of this they were learning on the fly as they traveled with him. So I, I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I think about quiet time, you know, I think about somebody like this who's you know, really diligent. I'm not really a morning person. And so I've always kind of struggled with having this morning devotion time that people say you're supposed to have. And, and it's good. When I, you know, when I accomplish it, it's great. But here's the thing. So often, if we're not careful, when we think of this like morning time, it's not so you can feel better about yourself. And it's certainly not to get God's blessing. God's not in heaven like, ooh, I hope they do their quiet time. Right? And it's not to keep some sort of weird religious Bible study streak. So you can outperform somebody else in your small group or Sunday school class or a church down the road. Friends, the point of spending time with Jesus is to become like him. To become like him. No other reason. That's what you would do with a rabbi. If it's a master, then you want to be with him just so you can become like him. You know, things like being more loving, more forgiving, more willing to serve and to sacrifice for others, more full of life. And so if you're, if you're saying, are you connecting with Jesus in the morning... If you're not becoming more loving and more forgiving and more willing to serve and bless others, then the answer is you're not spending time with them. You're doing something else. It might be a religious exercise. It might be trying to feel better about yourself. But it's not really being formed by Jesus because that's who he was. John Mark Comer writes it like this. He says, the whole point of apprenticeship was to train under your rabbi to one day become a rabbi yourself. That's really the goal. If you made it through the gauntlet of discipleship and that was a real if, then when he thought you were ready, your rabbi would turn to you and say something like, okay, kid, I give you my blessing. Say it with me. Go and make disciples. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Where is that? Go and make disciples. It was called the Great Commission, friends. It's the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. And we know around here that the great commandment of love God, love others, and the great commission of go make disciples makes a great church. Amen? And that, that's what we're about. And so if you look at this context where this is actually said in the Bible, in Matthew 28, it reads like this. Now the 11 disciples, Judas was out by that point, because this is resurrection, post-resurrection. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, which means to lay down you know, on the ground, head down with your hands out towards his feet. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority does Jesus have? All of it. And because that's true, Jesus says, go therefore and do what? Can you imagine what happened in their hearts when they heard those words? Like, did did he he just say that? Did he just say, go make, we're done. Like, we graduated. This is it. I've been waiting my whole life for those words. Jesus thinks I can be a rabbi like he was a rabbi. I mean, they're, they're like, they're freaking out. Like, did, did he just say, go make disciples? I've been waiting my whole life to hear those words. Go make disciples. And baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And listen to this. As a rabbi would do, this, this is absolutely just makes total sense if you pull it all together. To obey everything I've commanded you. Because you've been with your rabbi. You've become like him and now you're doing what he does. 
That's what Jesus is sending them out to do. He's telling you, guys, I'm about to go on. You've graduated. The mission is yours now. Everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You're not on your own. So let me ask you again. Are you a Christian or are you an apprentice? There's a difference. The word Christian is only used three times in the entire New Testament. Do you know that? And so we're not really sure what Christian means, particularly in the West. But when it comes to the word disciple, when it comes to apprentice, that word, it's used 269 times. Let me say that again. Three, 269. What do you think Jesus wants you to do? Be a Christian or be someone who follows him? Woo! Or falls down before him. Right? 269 times. And, And here's the thing. I know that particularly folks who come from a revivalist um, history, um, they can really struggle with this because they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you saying that you actually have to do stuff to be a part of what Jesus is doing? Do you actually have to follow him? I'm like, yes, yes. And John Mark Comer would write it like this. He says, it seems the Western church has at times been more careful to avoid works righteousness than to avoid sin. Right? If we're not careful, we'll just say, well, do whatever you do, and Jesus will forgive you anyway. That's not in the Bible at all. It's just not. Now, this is where it gets difficult, and that is that roughly 63% of Americans self-identify as Christians. Right? When, if you say, well, what are you? They'll say, well, I'm a Christian. But those who say they are following Jesus, actually following him, which is what we do here. Anybody guess what that is? 4%. 4%. Do you see the disconnect? Do you see the problem? Do you see why nobody wants to be a Christian anyway? Because 96% aren't following him. Well, I don't want to be a part of that either. Neither should you. You absolutely should not. Because at Acts 2 United Methodist Church, we have one question for you. If you've been to expiration, you know what the question is. We say, say it with me. Do you want to follow Jesus? Not if you want to believe in him. Not if you want to think about him. Not if you want to run with some people that are pretty good for your kids to hang out with. But do you want to follow Jesus? That's the only question there is, then and now. And, and all four Gospels make this super plain. And Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, they all make this very sharp divide between those who would follow Jesus and the crowds. And the crowds are people who just want something from him. They want to be fed. They want to be healed. Uh, they, they want to be restored in some way. And there's nothing wrong with wanting those things, but it's not following him. And there's a very different relationship between those who are in the crowd and those who choose to follow. So Dallas Willard, um, I think, speaks into our culture very, very well here, uh, even though he's passed. He says, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs, and there are many, is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples. Will the people who actually claim the name of Jesus actually look like him, which is what Christian means, little Christian, little Christ, and follow him? You know, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steady learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. As doctors and attorneys, school teachers, road workers, house cleaners, in every way, living in the kingdom of God, transform the world. Because for Jesus, salvation is less about getting you into heaven and more about getting heaven into you. Today, not someday, not afterlife. And this is where it gets really disturbing, and I'll expect some conversations or emails from you later. And that's this, that there's no guarantee that you can be a Christian, but not an apprentice of Jesus and still go to heaven. None. It's not in the Bible anywhere. I'm I'm happy to have you show it to me. 
Let me say that again. There's no guarantee that you can be a Christian but not a follower of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, and still go to heaven when you die. Jesus never said that. Jesus warned us even. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But say it with me. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's about obedience, friends. It's about doing what he asks us to do. And we ought not kid ourselves. And I don't have the luxury of lying to you to make you feel better about it. It's not my job. My job is to tell you the truth. And your job is to receive it or reject it. Which is yours to do. Let's make no mistake, friends. It's not a one and done. It's not raising your hand at a service where you're emotionally moved. What we're talking about, it takes practice. That's why we're talking about practicing the way. And the original name of the followers of Jesus was the way or followers of the way. That was the first church, if you will. Oh, those are the followers of the way of Jesus. The Eastern Orthodox Church really formed the United Methodist Church because it formed our founder, John Wesley. Uh, And the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, uh, there were some big splits, which is a whole different sermon series. But let's suffice it to say that our founder, John Wesley, was deeply influenced by the Eastern Church. And the Eastern Orthodox Bishop um, Ware uh, says this, which is in line with what we're talking about. Christianity is more than a theory about the universe, more than teachings written down on paper. It is a path along which we journey in the deepest and richest sense, the way of life. What we're talking about is a way of life. So Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus claims it for himself. I'm the way. Come be a part of my way. And he says in Matthew 7, right before we get to what we read today, right? Remember where he says, if you do these things, you're wise. If you don't do things, expect your house to fall. This is what he said right before that. If you go back into Matthew 7, he says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow. The way of Jesus is narrow. And the road is hard that leads to life as it is with anything. And there are few who find it, who actually live into it. Now, before you get too freaked out, let me explain this. When we're talking about Jesus narrow, it means specific. And if you follow Jesus' way, that leads to life, doesn't it? Some of you, when you found Jesus, found, oh my gosh, my life works better. When I do what Jesus tells me to do, my life is better. Just as my relationships are better, I feel better about myself. The whole world is better when I do what Jesus leads me to do. Conversely, if you do what everybody else is doing, the broad and wide anything goes way of the world has always led to destruction and heartache. I mean, this, this isn't hard to understand, right? Think college, right? When it, whenever everybody's just doing whatever, and you think, oh, well, maybe this will work, and it doesn't work. And you, you get that. You're like, oh, okay. So then we come to this really important line that Jesus says. He says, Jesus said to his disciples, say this word with me, whoever... Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Well, friends, our first core value here at our church is to welcome all. Why? Because when Jesus says whoever, he means whoever. It's not about where you come from, what race you are, your background, what you've done, none of that. What Jesus says, if you want to follow me, come follow me. Period. Dot. So if you're here, you want to follow Jesus, this is your place. No questions asked. But you got to want to follow Jesus. Welcome all means all, because when Jesus says whoever, he means what? Whoever. And that includes you. That's the good news. It includes you. So your action step today um, is uh, very similar to what I said on Wednesday, if you were here for Ash Wednesday. And that is, 
if we really want to look at Jesus, we have to stop looking at ourselves. Right? So to take a step towards Jesus and take a step away from the world, don't take any selfies between now and Easter. To which I know all you 80-year-olds are like, yes, finally one I can do. Right? Now here, here's the thing. For the younger ones, that can be hard. Because they're, they're growing up in a culture that says it is all about you. It's about youth culture. It's about who you're with and what you do and how you do it and how well you do it. And Jesus says, that's not what life's about at all. It's about something much bigger than that. And then, the young people will do great with this next one, which we who are older will not. So I gave one to each. And that is, ask God to help you become free of the need for things to go your way. Because if you're all caught up in your way, you're not caught up in Jesus' way. And the young people, they know this. They're like, nothing ever goes my way. You know, I can't drive, or I can't vote, or I can't do this, or I can't do that. They, they get this one. This is not going to be hard for them. But for those of us who are used to things going our way, whew, that can be tough. Because the only way to a happy life is to leave the results to Jesus. To follow him, be obedient to him, and leave the results to him. I hope you'll follow him. Amen? Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.